Welcome to the Reimagine Podcast, episode number one. I'm your host, Kaylin Laurie. Today we're talking with a good friend of mine, Madison Ayers, who is a self-love specialist. Thankfully, the best trend that you can jump on right now is self-love. So we're going to be diving in to that concept and what it means to reframe your mind, befriend your body, and restore your soul. So if you are someone who has a negative relationship with your body or you're struggling to identify with self-acceptance and have no idea where to start, then keep listening. Madison is going to share her personal journey with healing and how she suggests that you can start the self-love process. So let's go ahead and jump in. Madison. Hello. It's so good to have you here. This is my very first podcast episode and I couldn't think of anyone better than you to have on. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Amazing. So what I wanted to talk about today, and I'm going to let you go wherever you want with it, but I want to dive into this business that you're building because I think you found such incredible niche and there's so many people that you're going to be able to help with this entire little empire that you're building. And so I wanted to just dive into it. And so on your website, the very first thing you see is reframe your mind, befriend your body and restore your soul. And this is all around body bliss. Yeah. So I want you to tell me a little bit about what body bliss is and how you ended up going down this path. Uh, so it's funny because that first little bit on my website, up until I launched the business, it was just reframe your mind, befriend your body. And right before I started it, I had this like really clear intuitive hit to like tie in the soul element too, because I think that there's really two different like pockets where we have like body positivity and then spirituality and like soul seeking. But the reason that I created this is because for me, they were so closely tied and really I wasn't able to do one without the other because I would be exploring my spirituality, but then be stuck disliking my body all day. And that felt like it was hindering me from fully being able to explore that because it was a distraction. And at the same time, if I was trying to heal my body, then sometimes I would be distracted from my spiritual practice if I was too consumed with my physical body. So for me, it really is such a marriage between the two because I believe that when we're obsessed with the physical body, we're not able to expand beyond it to the non-physical body. And so being able to heal that part of yourself and see your body is whole and perfect, it's a piece of the puzzle for seeing your higher self as whole and perfect too. Because you can't be living in this world where there's so much messaging around like, your worth is innate, which it is a hundred percent and be trying to embody that while still having throughout the day being like, I hate my body. I don't like the way that I look like it's like there's a polarity between the two and there's like a disconnect. And so being able to really heal the two and bring them together and be like, I fully accept myself in this present moment, the way that I am body included, I think is really where there's that sweet spot because spirituality is so popular right now, which is amazing. And I think it's only going to continue to be more popular, but I think that a lot of people are missing a piece of the puzzle. And that is not just loving yourself as a spiritual being or a soul, but like also being like, okay, but look at the fact that you are human right now. And a part of the human experience is learning how to love that expression of yourself as well, which is your body. Amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, that was a perfectly elaborate explanation. And okay, good. Glad, oh my gosh. Yes. I'm, and I'm glad you're bringing it up because I think it's important 
to recognize. And I know I'm your ideal client and I've struggled. <laughs> I've struggled with We it. all have. We've all struggled with it. And that separation, you don't realize there's a separation until you kind of hit a point where you start recognizing like, okay, there's, there's actually something wrong here something's not right. Like I really need to dig in deeper and get to the, you know, the root of where this problem came from and how to solve it. If you're comfortable sharing, I want to hear a little bit about your story here. Cause I know we've talked about it before and I think you have a really unique timeline from, you know, growing up to, you know, becoming the Madison that I knew three years ago Mm -hmm. to becoming and evolving into the Madison that you are now who is providing, you know, almost like an act of service to everyone who you're working with. So can you tell us a little bit about your story of how you got here? Oh, yes. I'm an open book. I'm like, like, if you feel comfortable, I'm like, oh, I feel comfortable. I love that. Um, Yes, absolutely. So I had a little bit of a crash course in learning to love my body because I did have an eating disorder and it started, it was, it breaks my heart to say, but it started when I was 10, which is crazy to think about, but I don't think that's atypical for women to start to experience a complicated relationship with my, with their bodies. Mine was just taken to the extreme just because I'm kind of an extreme person. Um, but I was 10 when I first started developing anorexia and that was sort of off and on through high school. Mm-hmm. And then when I got into college, I don't even fully know how the switch happened, but I was, it was my freshman year of college and I was really quite anorexic. And I had this sort of like awakening moment where I was like, I need to do something about this. Like, I don't want to live my entire life this way. I had this overwhelming feeling that I should leave the college that I was at and move home. Cause I thought, okay, I'm going to be healthier at home. That's where I felt more secure. I was wrong. It got worse when I moved home, <laughs> which I think to a certain degree, sometimes it has to really take you to the full deep, dark, like deep, dark depths in order mm-hmm. for you to fully heal it. And I think it's that, like that rock bottom a hundred percent. And I think that when I left Washington state university to move home, I liked the idea of being healthy, but it's like when people like the idea of healing, right. They're like, Oh, it's going to be great. And then you're like, Holy shit. I'm being shown like my deepest shadows. (laughs) You don't (laughs) know what's coming. Exactly. I'm like, I thought I was ready, but then I ended up having to go a little bit deeper. And that's when I became bulimic, which was extremely painful and just quite frankly, it like messed my entire life up. It was stealing my life from me. And that's when I finally reached a point where I was like, this is not, I need to do something about this. So from that rock bottom moment, I had this sort of moment of transformation where I started going to treatment. I transferred to University of Washington, which was a healthier environment for me. And I really started to turn things around. And I got to this point where like, I was fine. I didn't have an eating disorder anymore. Okay. That's a big feat. I don't know why I'm like, it's whatever. I overcame my eating disorder, which was huge, huge, huge. huge. Um, but it was still, it was like, I hit this plateau almost. And I was like, okay, technically I don't have an eating disorder. I don't have any eating disorder behaviors. Like it's not diagnosable, but I was still very, very aware of what I was eating and the size of my body. And keeping myself small was still a priority. I just wasn't willing to go to the extremes that I used to go to. And it was a lot more subtle, but it was still really painful. Mm -hmm. And so I had this like nudging, which I think a lot of us that are like having spiritual expansion or soul's evolution sort of know, like I'm on the brink of something, like there's something more I'm about to expand or evolve in one way or another. And I had that first sort of like 
I think there's something else to life here. I need to go explore it. And it wasn't necessarily driven by the dissatisfaction with my body. I think it was something that was a lot deeper than that and sort of just like a a longing for something more. And so I started looking into spirituality and I went down like the rabbit hole of like Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay, like the OG intro too. you know, like Gabby Bernstein was like my intro drug. (laughs) And I just like went down that entire, like the books and the podcasts and like the YouTube videos and everything like that. And as I started to heal the relationship with my soul and really get to know my soul, I naturally, a byproduct was that I was healing the relationship with my body as well. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't able to fully heal my relationship with my body until I tapped into this soul spiritual Mm -hmm. element. But at the same time, if I wouldn't have done all of that work to heal my body first, then I wouldn't have been in a position to be ready to fully release that. So I think it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg situation. Sometimes people will start their spiritual path first and then have to handle the healing, the relationship with their body piece. Or in my case, I did the work to heal my relationship with my body, hit this plateau, and it was really being able to explore the other dimensions of who I am beyond my body that were able to sort of like tie it in a nice little bow and Mm -hmm. make it like a more well-rounded healing that really incorporated both parts of myself. Um, Wow. Yes. So, yeah, no, it's incredibly crazy, but I'm super proud of you because you've come such a long way and it's amazing to see people who have been through such adversity be able to come out of the other side with this newfound knowledge, not only of how to operate in their own body, but also how to move forward and how to get more into alignment. So I want to ask you a little bit about meditation and breath work and how those two things have added to your experience of not only healing, but also, you know, finding alignment with who you're becoming. Because I think part of this healing process has brought you to this point where, you know, you are like Madison Nayers, like (laughs) 3.0. Yeah. And so can you tell me more about that? And then also some of these like transcendental experiences that I've known that I know you've had during some of these, you know, breathwork sessions where you're like really getting deep into the depths of like your growth. Oh my God. I called you the morning after that first breathwork. And I was like, girl, I went somewhere wild. That that was amazing. That was the best call. (laughs) That's that's all I want to hear. When I answer the phone, if you don't tell me that you went somewhere wild, I I was like, Like, I need new material. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I think like making peace with your body and meditation are so closely tied because it's you it's hard to know the part of yourself that's beyond your body if you don't spend time in meditation becoming familiar with what that part of yourself feels like and like getting to know that part of yourself so if you have only ever known the identification of I'm Madison Ayers, I am 5'7", I have brown hair, and you've never done any sort of exploration into who you are beyond that, which I think is really what meditation can do for us, then it's hard to really anchor into the truth that you're not your body because it's like, well, this is all I've ever experienced. I've only ever experienced my awareness in my body instead of being able to be aware of this other part of you that lies beyond your body. Mm -hmm. So meditation allows you to, A, get to know the part of yourself that is not just 
you know, your ego, the Madison Ayers 5'7 brown hair. And then it also allows you to sit comfortably in your body and feel your breath and actually experience your body and be with it instead of being all caught up in the head. I think that so many times throughout the day, we think we're checking in with our body, but it's really our mind's perception of our body. Like you'll be like, oh, what am I in the mood to eat? But really what it is, is it's your mind's opinion of what you should eat. You're not actually Mm -hmm. asking your body. And it's because you don't know what its cues are. But if you're practicing meditation and you can really feel your body breathe and feel the different sensations, then it helps you be able to tap into those cues and be able to make a decision about your body from a higher perspective instead of just that ego mind's opinion of what it thinks that it wants. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. That makes complete sense. So obviously you've done a lot of work, a, a lot of work on yourself through meditation, through breath work. So for people who, and this is pretty high level, not everybody is going to be able to meet you right there, but the goal is obviously to get people feeling comfortable so that they can eventually get there. And at that point, you know, that's when they're having some of these extreme breakthroughs and you're seeing significant changes. But what would you say, you know, to somebody who is just starting down that path? You know, they're not happy with their body. Maybe they don't even realize it. Maybe they're so incredibly, you know, they have a negative mindset. Like they look in the mirror, they have body, body dysmorphia, they're body checking all the time, like, you know, getting super absorbed in the way that they look through, through social media apps, you know, all of the things that just serve to make this toxic place kind of an even more unhealthy environment for all of us. When you're right there in that entry level, you know, how do you help somebody with that? How do you start guiding them down the right direction? Does it start with mindset? Does it start with, you know, like affirmations. I mean, you know, we can get as simple or, you know, (laughs) as involved as possible, but where do you find that that shift needs to begin? I think that the number one thing that needs to happen is you have to be at a point where you're kind of sick of your own bullshit. And you're like, I don't want to be this way anymore. This is not fun for me. I want to rid myself of these thoughts, but I don't literally don't even know how, I don't know if it's possible. I have so many other things to do. Like, that sort of like almost like the opposite of apathy, but still almost like helpless, hopeless and helpless. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, this sucks, but like, I literally don't know what to do about it. So I think that you have to be sick of your own bullshit. And then you have to make the decision that this is something that you actually want to prioritize mm-hmm. because I think that there's so many different avenues that are promising happiness and so many different avenues that it's like, oh, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll get this result. Mm -hmm. And you have to commit to the path of being like, I'm going to heal the relationship with my body. Is that going to mean that I'm going to have the most, you know, perfect life afterwards and nothing will ever go wrong and I'll never have self-doubt? Absolutely not. But it's healing a piece of the puzzle. So it's like something you have to integrate and like continually practice. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then that voice will sometimes come up and shape shift. And if it's not food in your body, then maybe it's relationships. You know what I mean? But it's sort of like being like, okay, I'm committing to healing this expression of my self deprecation Mm -hmm. because you have to heal each bit and the way that you're like bringing yourself down. Mm -hmm. So one is you have to be ready for it. Two is you have to make the decision to it and commit to it. And then as soon as like the work actually does begin, I I personally think that a lot of it starts with self-talk because it Mm -hmm. is something that's a little bit more tangible and controllable. It's not like feel your soul at soul's essence. It's like, no, what are the thoughts that you're, that you're saying to yourself and really mm-hmm. becoming familiar with 
like the ways that you're beating yourself up, how often you're beating yourself up, like how you target yourself. And once you're able to really identify those, you know what needs to be rewired. And so the first step is like identifying them. And then the second step is replacing them with a higher, more loving truth that a part of you knows deep down is true, but it's just not sort of like your autopilot at the moment. And once you're able to really be intentional about fixing that self-talk element, then you can move into, okay, my thoughts have been not controlled, but I see them for what they are now, which is thoughts. And I'm able to choose them. I know that I'm in control of what I believe is true. So once those thoughts are kind of under control, then you can move on to what lies beyond the thoughts as far as like presence, awareness, mindfulness, how it feels in your body, meditation. And I think once you're able to be with yourself and sit with yourself and access that higher part of yourself, then you can really dive into, okay, who is this more soul-led version of me and what does she want to do in the world and how does she want to show up in the world? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of those three pockets of yeah. like mindset and then the presence and awareness and what it actually feels like to be in your body and then who you are beyond your body. I love that. So what would you say for people who they maybe they have, you know, some sort of body dysmorphia, maybe, you know, they think they love who they are. Maybe they, you know, they truly do, but they find a variation of self-confidence through different types of modification. So before they do, you know, this soul level work where they're really going in and realizing if I do all these external things, like, yes, it will make me look good, but it's fleeting. You know, what do, what type of things do you have to share with, you know, people who may not realize that it's temporary and that if you don't get to the root of the problem, you know, you may never experience like the level of true happiness that is available to us. Completely. And this is something that I actually think is interesting because body modification has been around for like centuries, like Mm -hmm. in ancient history, there's been records of body modification. So I think that it is something that is in some way natural. I don't think that it's all of a sudden now people are getting fillers and it's the first time, first times humans have any ever done anything like in the name of beauty, basically. Um, but I do think that you have to look at why you're doing it because Mm -hmm. like I'm, I've gotten Botox and filler before and I've had people be like, oh my God, how can you do that when you tell people to love their body all day? And I'm like, cause I'm not doing it. Cause I hate myself Exactly. because honestly, part of it's like, I'm bored. I like, it's kind of fun. Like, it's just, it's like getting a new outfit or like getting a new like tattoo or something. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that if you're doing something and changing your body in some way or getting filler or whatever it may be that you're like, Ooh, this is what's going to make me feel good about myself. You have to be looking at why you're doing it and not what you're doing. Because one person could be, let's say doing a hit workout because it makes their body feel really, really good and Mm -hmm. they love it. And they like the endorphins that they experience and they were an athlete growing up. So they really like that intense workout. Like it could be solely because it makes them feel good and they enjoy it. And then another person could be doing that same hit workout and be doing it because they hate their body. They think it's going to give them the most results. They feel guilty about what they ate the night before. Like one thing that is fixing your body, you're changing something about your appearance, whatever it may be, just because it's, you can't judge someone on the action. You have to look at, okay, well, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I love myself or am I doing this because I hate myself? Because they're two very, very different, different manifestations of the same action. 
Exactly. Sometimes I wonder, and I know this conversation has come up a lot, you know, between me and some of my friends, but, you know, we'll see on social media, like a lot of the time, you know, people who just look the complete same and it begs to question, question how much beauty standards in this day and age, you know, have to do with like levels of unhappiness, you know, with ourselves, with our bodies, and then the modification that comes along with it. And like the overall, like mental health um, perspective around it all. So I wanted to see if you kind of had like any thoughts around like how we can almost squash and challenge beauty standards because living in, you know, a big city and, you know, having so much access to so many people everywhere, I think, um, I think people get distracted between, you know, what the definition of beauty is. And I think that it clouds, you know, people's opportunity to really see themselves and accept themselves, if that makes sense. So I just wanted you to chime in a little bit about that, because I think this is such an important topic to visit, you know. (laughs) Completely. A, I think it's kind of freaky how there's like one homogenous look that is... right. Exactly. And everywhere now, everywhere. It's like, it's like the gold standard. And it's like, why are we seeking this like gold standard? You know, shouldn't we find a way to understand that? Like there is so much beauty and, you know, being unique and not modified. And if you do get some sort of modification, there's no judgment around that, but also like, why are, why is everybody seeking to look the same? Mm -hmm. I do think that also when you, and again, no judgment. If these yeah, no like, judgment. women are happy doing this, 100%. It, ultimately, it's your body. You're an autonomous human yeah. being. You have the complete power to make the decision about. Exactly. This is just life. more about like questioning and understanding. 100%. I do think, in my opinion, that striving for that look is, in a sense, a rejection of self. Because you are completely saying the the way that I am and the way that I look is not okay. So I'm going to completely change my appearance. And that is a complete rejection of self. You're not, you're like rejecting your natural form. You're rejecting your natural look, your hair, whatever it may be, instead of using these things to maybe enhance how you already look and just enhancing your own natural beauty. Cause I don't think there's anything wrong with enhancing your own natural beauty, especially if it makes you feel good and you like it. And you know, it's coming from a place of self-acceptance, not self-rejection. But when it comes, when it gets into, I'm trying to look like another person that isn't me, that is a complete self-rejection in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I think it breaks my heart and it's not cute. I'm sorry. I don't, I personally am. If you naturally look like this, beautiful. But I think that the per- everyone is most beautiful when they're the closest to their natural expression. And yeah. the farther that you move away from it, I personally think that it's not as beautiful because it's not natural. And I think that nature is gorgeous. And I think that your natural form is you your expression of nature in your body, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how do we fix this issue? Obviously, it happens on an individual level, but... I think all of us have experienced like some level of comparison and some level of self-questioning. I know I have, you know, and it's taken me, you know, countless, like countless visits with myself and my own intuition to understand that, you know, I am, I am perfect in my own way, in my own form. Mm -hmm. And I always have to go deep and remind myself of that, especially when I see people who, in my opinion, you know, look really beautiful. Or I'm like, wow, you know, I wish that I 
had as flat of a stomach, you know, or like, I wish my legs were a little bit longer, whatever, you know, there's certain things that we like to pick apart and, you know, I'm on the same page as you. I'm I'm very spiritual, very intuitive. Like I will go, you know, very deep to the root of the problem and then kind of dig it up from there and figure out why I feel this way. But for people who may not have that strength yet, which is why that's where you come in, Q Madison, (laughs) you know, how, how do we squash this issue? And then also how does working with you and integrating everything that you've been putting together with your guides um, start to activate that process? So I think that one of the main things to keep in mind is to know that this conditioning and the fact that you're having the thoughts like, oh, I wish my stomach was flatter. Oh, I wish that my legs were longer. It's not you that made that up. You didn't decide that that was true for you. Someone else projected that onto you, whether it was marketing or family or whoever you learned that from, it wasn't your idea. And so I think that sometimes like if you have that that thing come up where you have that thought, you can be like, where did I learn this? Is Was this my idea? And if you're not used to true? really being, yeah. yeah. And like, if you're not used to being self-inquisitive like that, like even just saying like, did I, is this my idea? And just leave it at that. Like start with one, one question and, mm-hmm. or like, do I, do I want this to be my react, like my truth or something like that, where it can just be one question that sort of allows you to shift out of that sort of self-loathing into self-compassion and self-understanding and having empathy for yourself and mm-hmm. being like, all right, this is not my fault, but it is your responsibility. And I, to, to change it, because unfortunately, even though we didn't download this programming and like by choice, it's here. And if you don't do anything about it, then it's going to stay. And I think at least for me, a huge driving factor is like my nieces and like my future daughters and things like that. Because again, we got these ideas and this information from somewhere. It it was there before us and it will continue on through us if we don't do something about it. So Mm -hmm. I think that doing this work is so important for the collective at large. And that can kind of be something to remind yourself about too, is like, it's not about me. It's about the collective at large and really changing the path for women as a collective, not just you, because it does affect the women that are in your life as well. And I think that when one woman makes the decision to accept her body exactly the way that it is and love herself and her form and everything about her appearance, instead of constantly critiquing it, it gives other women permission to do the same. Cause it's kind of like, that. I'll have what she's having. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh shit. Like that's nice. It's funny. And so it's it funny you just permission. said that. It's funny you just said that. I literally wrote that down in my phone the other day where it's like, when you step into your, into your own power, you give other people the permission to do the same. And I think that's it's completely true. incredibly true. And I think we are on the brink of a huge, I mean, we're in the middle of a huge paradigm shift. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I, you came into this niche at the perfect time. Cause I think more and more people are, you know, sick of their, sick of their BS and, you know, ready yeah. to make a change. I, I, for one, know that all of these things that kind of stop me in my tracks from being able to grow and evolve are things that I want to stop now. Cause you know, if I ever do like have a family, whatever the case may be, those are things that I do not want to pass along by any means, even if I, you know, unconsciously do so. So it's better to just heal that process. And, um, I mean, would you say that most people end up kind of getting sick of their shit (laughs) or like, (laughs) 
you know, like what, what type of person does it take to really like step up and be like, oh my God, you know, like I'm, I'm done. And do you foresee there being more people who are willing to do this type of work, you know, with our generation and with the generations below us? Oh, I hope so. I, hope so <laughs> oh my God. I think so though. Yeah. I do think, and I don't know if it's just because I'm in the space and so I'm surrounded by it all the time mm-hmm. and it's my industry or if it really is becoming more prevalent. No, you know what? I think that it is becoming more prevalent because even be. like Dove commercials have like women of all sizes now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think that that's something that would have been the case in the early, you know, nineties or even early two thousands. So I think we have a long way to go a hundred percent. And I think that, um, you have to be very like discerning almost and see it for what it is. And you have to have the ability to pick up on what is just diet culture in a new like outfit. Cause I think yeah. that, and I love the wellness space, obviously, but there's a lot of conversation going on in the wellness space where it's just shrink your body, but do it, but make it health. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's still. <laughs> Yeah, no, the I the diet fads are terrible. I tried doing a whole bunch of things and cuz I it was hard so as you know, I went entirely, you know, plant-based and you know, that was for other reasons that didn't necessarily have to do with my body, but like right. trying to get my body to stay tiny since I'm so petite has always been a huge issue and so I know you've known like hey Kaylin, I think you need to like start looking at things in like a completely different way, which I have, but I took the hard way around (laughs) this entire situation by trying like everything and everything and anything like diet oriented and only having that backfire. And then suddenly I'm looking at myself and I'm like, why am I still like not happy? You know, like, why am I still not okay? Like I'm happy. I'm grateful. Like I have a, you know, fantastic, I'm grateful for my body. However, you know, why isn't it this at this level of perfect that I want it to be. And like, I mean, that had me go down my own path of like really asking myself, like, what am I really reaching for? And then that led me down a path where I started just like unfollowing people on social media where I was like, why am I following people where like, I'm, it's like, I'm programming myself unconsciously. It's like, I shouldn't be, yeah, like I shouldn't be following these people. Like, it's not like they're not beautiful. And it's not like, I don't want to know like what they're up to or whatever, but I'm following them. And then I'm, weirdly unconsciously comparing, but they're not even people who I should be comparing myself to because it's not my body type. Like we don't have any of the same, anything, no DNA. Like I'm, I'm like Italian and like German and European, all these things. And it's just completely separate. It's apples to oranges. Yeah. You're so right that it's completely just reinforcing the programming. I I was so disillusioned and I was reinforcing the programming. And so at one point I was like, I'm just going to get off like social media and like really like figure myself out and like just start tapping in more. And I mean, that was incredibly helpful, but obviously I had, I had your guidance too at the same time. So I always had, you know, Madison, (laughs) (laughs) I had Madison in my ear, but, um, tell me more about like the diet culture. And then also on your blog around food anxiety, I want to dive into that because I think that's a really interesting concept. And Mm -hmm. when I think food anxiety, I want to know, you know, what the definition of that looks like or what it is. And then also if people can identify if they're even having food anxiety when they're eating. And then also what you think about what's worse is eating bad food worse, or is the fear around eating bad food worse? Ooh, 
Okay. So I think that food anxiety is, if I could sum it up, it's not trusting your body. It's Mm -hmm. not trusting your body to know what it wants so that when it asks you to have, let's say, I don't know, pasta, because your body wants carbs, having anxiety around that and saying, no, I'm going to have a salad or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. So it's not trusting your body's cues. It's not trusting that your body knows what to do when you overeat. It's not trusting that your body knows what kind of exercise that it wants. Like it's making decisions about your body for your body instead of letting your body make its own decisions. And so I think that anytime you betray your body's wishes, you're making the next time that you don't betray your body's wishes, it almost like builds it up, right? Like if you're like, say, no, I don't want pasta. No, I don't want pasta. No, I don't want pasta. That builds up. And then by the time that you finally have pasta, you've demonized this thing so much that it creates this huge wave of anxiety because you've spent so long telling yourself that it was bad, not allowed, not okay. So then when you have it, you feel like you did something wrong, which is uh, honestly, okay. So I just heard this recently on a podcast I was listening to, and I think that it's wild. It's talking about how Adam and Eve, which I'm not Christian, but everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve, that essentially what it is was the downfall of humanity was because a woman gave into her appetite. And we have been literally since the dawn of time, allegedly, that has been an underlying theme that we've learned in society. And so it's like, we've been taught not to trust ourselves and taught not to trust our instincts and taught not to trust our bodies. And that if we give into them, then there's something to be scared, nervous, or anxious about. So I think that, wow, yeah, isn't that messed up? That really sucks. <laughs> I know. Like, what? Are you kidding? Like super rude. Like really super rude. rude. I mean, but it, it honestly makes sense, you know, and I think that it trickles Completely. over into, it trickles over into other areas of life too. And like, we don't even, we don't even recognize it. It's like, we want to hundred percent, but then we're fearful of what it's going to do or like, you know, if we're going to be judged or how it's going to reflect back on us. And it's like, it adds to that element of like heaviness and frustration that again causes us to perpetuate this like vicious cycle of not healing. Completely. And I think too, to answer your question about, is it worse to eat the bad food or to have bad feelings about eating bad food? A hundred percent. I think that it's to have the bad feelings about eating the food. That's I think what, that's that, what I think too. Mm-hmm, Cause like mm-hmm. your body's smart. It's literally a machine. It knows how to digest things. Like it is an extremely well-oiled machine And if you eat something that's bad, quote unquote, I don't think that there's any food that's bad, but if you've labeled it as bad or I guess, yeah, there's no such thing as bad food. If you don't have bad energy around the food, then it's just neutral. That's what, that's what I feel, you know? So it's just like, I'm sure you've seen those studies with like water (laughs) and like the molecules Mm -hmm. of water. Like when, when there's like bad music or like really aggressive music playing around water, like the molecular structure of the water shifts and like same thing when it's like really beautiful, like classical music, et cetera. It's like this like almost gorgeous like snowflake. And so yes. I feel like it's most likely the same thing when it comes down to food. And that was something I had to shift because I had food anxiety for a really long time. I would feel like if anything that I ate, if I ate my whole plate or whatever, like, you know, is it going to affect me? Am I going to like gain weight? It was just that bad mindset that I had to heal from. And, um, 
I started changing my intention around the way that I was eating food. So before I would eat food, even though, you know, by any means, like I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, <laughs> I would still like, <laughs> almost like bless my food in a way, mm-hmm. you know, like still like, like be really grateful for my food. This food is giving me yeah. energy. This, this food is going into my body and it's helping me like sustain my, my life. And so it was like that, that mindset around it. But I remember every time that I would have fear or be frustrated before I would eat, like I would never leave feeling good. And even though that's like such a simple concept to understand, it weighs like so heavy on somebody who's having issues around like self-acceptance already when it comes to like just being in their own skin. Completely. And I think that practicing gratitude, whether you're thankful for your food or thankful for your body. Mm -hmm. If you do both of those simultaneously and you're like, okay, I'm thankful for this food that is giving me fuel and not everybody has access to food anyway, you know? So like, that's a whole other layer where it's like, we should be thankful that we have access to food in general and that we're lucky enough to have the freedom to choose whatever we want to eat. And then also turning inward and being like, I'm thankful for my body. I'm thankful that it is taking in this energy and that I can use this energy to go experience life and interact with life and just have like the depths of the human experience because you can't do that without a body. Like you like to travel, your body takes you there. You know what I mean? Like even little things like that. And like, I think that like how I was saying that some people don't have access to food, like some people aren't able-bodied and there are these things that we take for granted, like having legs and having arms that are just sort of, we accept them as the way that it is. And we forget that that in and of itself is such a blessing and something to be grateful for. So Mm -hmm. I preach gratitude for your body to my clients all the time, because I think that it's really, really hard to simultaneously be bashing something that you're grateful for. So if you're holding your body in gratitude, there's less space for that critique Mm -hmm. to fill in because it's hard to critique something that you're just overwhelmingly thankful for. Okay. I love that. That leads me to another question. How do people, it should, I want to say that it's easy to always be grateful, you know, because I think the answer for everything, even though it's very frustrating because some of us are more fortunate than others, etc. cetera. Um, sometimes it's hard to like come to a place of gratitude when you feel like you're hopeless. It's like when you know, people say when everything is going great in life, like it's so easy to be happy. It's so easy to be thankful, but it's during those like hard, dark times where it's really difficult to like find that center and find gratitude. So how do you help somebody or how do you guide somebody when, you know, they're already feeling so down, you know, maybe it's because they don't like where they're at with their weight or they've just struggled with body acceptance and it's tanked their self-esteem so low that, when they hear, you know, be more grateful or practice more gratitude, you know, what if they feel like they can't do it? Like what kind of advice do you have for somebody who's kind of hit that, hit that spot where they're like, okay, easier said than done. How do I do that? Completely. I think that at that point, you just have to keep it simple because when you try and get too extravagant and like think of things that you're grateful for, it's hard to think of things, right? So to not, to not be like, I need to come up with this grand list, like literally be like my breath, my heartbeat, like bring it back to things that are not going anywhere and they're not conditional and they are not external. So they can't be taken away. Like it could be like, yeah, anything that's internal and that it's not, it's always there no matter what. And so 
it's always there to be grateful for, even when the external world is really hard and Mm -hmm. you've been sort of beat down and might be jaded. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you're in that place, just keeping it simple and coming back to the things that are not conditional and that are always with you because there is always, always, always something to be grateful for, even if it is literally just like your beating heart. I love that. I think that's such an important reminder too. I think sometimes it's hard to remember, you know, what to be grateful for and people forget to sit back and realize that sometimes it's the little tiny things, mm-hmm. you know, like, like wind, like the wind, wind. the smell of a flower. Yeah. Like it Coffee, doesn't have to be like anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like it can be simple daily pleasures and it's just shifting the way that you look at them and experience them. Mm-hmm. Because if you're rushing around the day, getting distracted, you're not grateful for the things that you're just sort of whizzing by. But if you're able to slow down, like even the things that are mundane can be really beautiful. And it's like, let's be honest, this entire life experience is a freaking miracle. Who knows how we got here? Like it's all right. It's a trip. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's shifting your perspective into life is a gift period. And this entire life experience is miraculous. So anything that you can tune into, no matter how big or small, you can find a reason to be thankful for it. You just have to want to bad enough. And Mm -hmm. I think be at that point where the pain of not doing anything and not changing your perspective is more overwhelming than the inconvenience of changing the way that you're looking at things. That makes complete sense. So how much of how much of your healing process is rooted in your guides and the service that you provide to those who are seeking to heal? Oh, I mean, all of it. All of it. <laughs> I basically just took everything that I know and learned by myself and put it in this step-by-step process because mm-hmm. I basically feel like I had to like mod podge everything together. You know what I mean? You had, to make, like, sense, you had to make sense of it all. You're like, I just went through crazy experience. How do I tie it all together and make it make a hundred percent? Yeah. And like, I feel like really what it does is it streamlines, streamlines that process for people because instead of being at a point where they're like, I think I need to, to start to be kinder to myself and my body and I need to heal this and then get distracted and go about their life. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. Like you got to commit to it and stick to it and be like, all right, for the next you know, eight weeks, six weeks, this is going to be my main priority. Mm -hmm. And this, the programs that I create, they give you that framework to a, have the accountability because you have something that you need to come back to every week. Mm -hmm. And it makes it so that you don't have to go out and seek and find all of the answers and the resources by yourself. It's all of the resources sort of in a little care package. So it really Mm -hmm. just streamlines things. I think that people probably could, or they can, of course, it's not like you need me to heal. People can heal their relationship with their body a hundred percent. It just makes it happen a lot faster because I have your hand pulling you through the process quicker Mm -hmm. and giving you direction instead of like just sort of being out in the world, living your normal life, falling into your old old habits while Mm -hmm. trying to sort of like climb yourself out of this hole. Mm -hmm. So it really is just sort of like an accelerator. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so amazing. (laughs) and it's really cool because I've done a lot of watching of your progress and it's so beautiful to watch people who have come to you be able to leave you testimonials saying that what you're able to provide them is far exceeding what you would be able to get in traditional therapy in many cases 
And I think that's sweet. That's so amazing. You know, it just, it truly is a testament to the fact that you're in such alignment with what you're doing. And I think, you know, we need more people who are willing to walk in their authenticity and be able to stand in these positions and, you know, help, help guide others. And so watching you experience adversity and then turn it into an act of service is so huge. So I commend you for that. Um, and I want you to share with us if you can quickly, because this story blew my mind, but there was that one breathwork session that you told me about where you were like, I was deep in this moment and I had a visual of me doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't want to tell the story. I want (laughs) you to (laughs) tell it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, you know, what's funny is I get this vision pretty often, honestly. Was it a very, and like a very clear vision, like visual or more, you know, visual, like, visual. Yeah. Visual. Wow. Um, so I went to, I live in Seattle, Washington. I drove up to Vancouver with one of my girlfriends who's also named Madison and she's actually a breathwork practitioner now. So she's now who I do breathwork with because everything's on zoom. I can't go up to, to mm-hmm. Canada anymore. Um, and she was like very, she was like, Oh, you'll see. Like when I was like, what's it like? I was expecting like, you know, experience your breathing during meditation. Heck no. It was an active like breathwork meditation. And it was insane. I have never had any sort of experience. It was always something that like conceptually I would hear and read like, you are the divine. God is Mm -hmm. in you. Like you are a spark of God. Everything's connected. Like conceptually, I knew those things, but it was the first time that I was ever able to really experience and embody it. And I remember I was just crying and crying and crying because I felt this like overwhelming sense of love Mm -hmm. and just being like held. And it was the most beautiful thing I heard. I love you. I love you. I love you over and over again. I was like weeping. And then I think that the breathwork um, facilitator like prompted us to ask like, what am I here to do? Like, what is my purpose? And I had this really clear vision of myself, like speaking at a workshop and like being on stage and sharing things. And like, the crazy thing is, is that I found a journal prompt or a journal entry from 2015 that I had written. I think I shared this with you, Kaylin. And it said like, I'm here to remind others of Mm -hmm. like their own light and Mm -hmm. to help them like embody their own self-love by Mm -hmm. showing them mine. Like, What year was that when you wrote that? 2015. Wow. It was crazy. I was just a little baby. Then, I was still in college. At what point in this breathwork session did you see like all of the past versions of yourself and the future versions of yourself? Oh, that was a second time, but that oh, one was things got a little bit dark because I oh. had to relive the hard times that I went through. Where it's, a, I hated it's, a, it's a balance though, right? Like you can't experience the light without experiencing the dark and vice versa. So, but that's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But at one point I had the past versions of myself and they were all next to me and they were sort of like, you got this girl, go for it. Being like, you were all of us so that you could step into this version of yourself. And I like, yeah, wow, it was crazy. And so I like stepped up onto this stage and that's where I was like embodying, spreading this mission and helping people heal this within themselves too, because I really do think, I mean, I always knew even since, like I was saying 2015, when I had that, when I was in college, I had no Mm -hmm. idea what that meant. I, you know, had this call to do this mission and I was like, I guess I'll go into sales. Cause like, I had no idea (laughs) it was even anything that you could do. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? 
Um, but then once I got a little bit more curious and I finally said yes and was like, okay, what does this look like? That's when through breath work, through meditation and just through different modalities of self-reflection, I was able to be given the breadcrumbs and the pieces to follow to actually realize, okay, well, this is going to be how and sort of like the methodology that I use to help people love themselves more and like come home to who they are and see themselves as someone to love and celebrate, not someone to like change or hate Mm -hmm. or put down. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, you are, you are in such alignment. It's incredible to watch and like hearing all of those stories that you've told me just blow my mind. So first of all, testament that people really need to start tapping in because there is just like, there are answers and they're literally like right inside if you do the digging and if you really, Mm -hmm. you know, dedicate yourself to it. But it's so cool to have watched this evolution for you from the point where, you know, you were working in sales and you were like, you know, this is going to (laughs) be, this was going to be like my life. And I'm like, I have a feeling something's going to happen. And then like, you just, I think she's wrong. (laughs) You just took off. It's so cool (laughs) to watch this entire process. Oh my God. I know you knew you're like, I don't know if you're going to do this. I remember because I remember meeting you and I was like, who is this just light beam of a person? Like just such an angel. And then we started talking all the time. And then I just remember low key planting these seeds where I was like, yeah, are you, you going to be happy doing this for the rest of your <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. For some reason, I don't know. <laughs> but you saw it before I did. It's, I do that sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to ask you just like a few questions just so that we can leave everybody with some like little pieces of personal wisdom. Love. Okay. So I want you to tell us, you know, if you could give your younger self any piece of advice what would it be? Okay. So I have two different young Madisons. My first would probably be when I was like 10, 11. And the first, when I first started to try and reject myself, you know what I mean? Cause I think up until a certain age, you're just like who you are and you don't care. And then you start to really be conditioned out of yourself. So that sort of 10, 11 age, I would tell myself that like what I was critical on is actually what makes me special. Cause I used mm-hmm. to be really self-conscious about being too loud and having a big personality and I wanted to be quieter. So I would tell myself that the things that I'm rejecting are actually like my superpowers and what are going to serve me and serve others in the long run. Well, wow. um, yeah, it makes me so sad to think about like little girls. I'm like, Oh no, guys stay strong. You, you don't want yourself. people to do that. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to, it all, it leads, it's clearly leads somewhere, you know, that's true. That's true. And then for like young twenties, Madison, I think I would tell her that like, she's in control of her life. I definitely had, um, a couple of years of being in the victim mindset and thinking that I wasn't in control of my life. And I think that I would tell her that like, she's the one in the driver's seat and Mm -hmm. that she has the complete power to decide what perspective she wants to have for her life. And that, um, yeah, that she's in control and that it's a choice and that happiness is a choice. I love it. Beautiful. That's fantastic. And now, now that you are where you are and you're tapped in and you feel like you're totally in control and now you're helping guide others, what is something that you would tell your future self now that you're being so much kinder on who you are? 
I don't know if I'm totally in control. (laughs) (laughs) Are any of us? No. (laughs) From from where you are right now, like feeling like like you you love who you are from a sense of self perspective. I do. I I know that I'm in control of my own perception of self. And you're looking towards the future with a healthy mindset. So what would this version of Madison tell future Madison? Future Madison is like a mother (laughs) with kids and a family. Uh, I would tell her that I'm so proud of her for like keep for that she kept going. You know, mm-hmm. this path can be challenging sometimes. And sometimes it's easier to just be like, oh, I want to live blind and just be in a nine to five. But if your soul is calling you to do something greater, then it's unfortunately not mm-hmm. really a choice. No, I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. But mm-hmm. I think that I would tell her that I was proud of her for not giving up and sticking to what she knew was right for her. Perfect. Well, I can't wait to show you this again one day when. You are all of those things. <laughs> okay. And then for everyone who's listening, when it comes down to just like body positivity and trying to become a better version of ourselves from a self-acceptance perspective, what are what is one thing that we should take away that we can remind ourselves on a daily basis that's palatable so that we can start walking a more confident path? Mm, that. You are your ally, not your enemy, and that your body is your ally, not your enemy. I think that we forget that we're on, sometimes it feels like we're on separate teams. Mm -hmm. And I think to remind yourself that you are one being and that every, yeah, you're on your, you're, you're on your same team, body included. Amazing. Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Madison. It was so good to have you on. I can't wait until we get to do this again. And, um, Thank you. It's just been so good hearing all of your insight. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Now that we've come to the end of this episode, I'd love to give all of you the opportunity to connect with Madison, learn more about her body bliss guides and how you can work with her one-on-one. Feel free to head over to her Instagram at Madison Ayers or directly to her website, www.madison-ayers.com. If you head over there now and click the link, you can sign up and get started with your free body bliss guide to begin your journey towards self-acceptance and self-love. Again, thank you guys so much for listening in. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast if you enjoyed it or share it with a friend who you think might also be in need of this information that was shared today. You can connect with me on Instagram at reimaginedthepodcast to see recaps, updates, as well as information on what episodes are coming up next. Thanks again and see you next time.